Well, thank you for joining us for uh, this audio appendix on 1 Corinthians 6. Um, whenever we feel like the conversation or the dialogue that gets started from one of the sermons in our series needs to go further, um, we like to do an audio appendix. And so we're going to do this for uh, the sermon that um, I actually preached just uh, last Sunday on 1 Corinthians 6. Um, so wh- why are we doing this? Well, first, I just want to say that we are first, uh, we're speaking more to the church than to the world in this conversation. So in his introduction to 1 Corinthians, Paul says a couple of things, uh, that this message is to the church of God in Corinth. It's to those who've been sanctified in Jesus. Um, He says, literally in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I've written for you not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of the world, because then you'd have to be pulled out of the world. But instead... Um, he says that he is actually speaking to the church. And he says, what do I have to do with the world? The, God judges the world. We judge the church. And so that we should talk about this more seriously and take more seriously our behavior. So that's one, I think, one important thing that we're, we're doing both in that sermon on Sunday, but we're doing this conversation. Secondly, that we want to make sure that we um, add to this conversation that was started. Um, we believe that a more uh, inclusive approach to these conversation actually better represents the image of God, that he created us male and female. And so that uh, any conversation that talks about um, embodied life is a better conversation when it represents both of us. Um, We can find deeper deeper healing. We can find deeper meaning. Um, And we also uh, believe that men and women uh, grow up with very different messages about their bodies, um, about their sex, about their sexuality. And so hearing from both men and women helps us to hear one another better. So uh, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here at Third. And to that end, I'm joined by Becca Payne and Brooke Winters. Would you guys like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, um, I'm Becca. I'm the director of communications here at Third. Um, So I do all sorts of things uh, (laughs) (laughs) from updating the website to leading liturgy actually this past Sunday. So uh, happy to be here and have this conversation with you guys. Yeah. I'm Brooke, also excited to be here. I work part-time at 3rd as an artist-in-residence, which is a fancy title that we have come up with, but basically what it means is I um, help with planning worship, facilitating worship on Sunday mornings, and um, have just been here a lot more regularly while um, our beloved Kim Talby was on sabbatical, so I'm excited to be here and part of this conversation today. Excited to have you guys. Yeah, and before we get into it, just wanted to say, Brooke and I are by no means experts in Mm. this passage of scripture, or are we experts um, in gender roles or sexuality. Uh, We're not counselors. We're not psychologists. We're not any of those things. (laughs) But we are women who work and serve and love the church um, and want to contribute to this conversation. We have thought been thinking a lot about this because we live in these bodies and live in this culture. Mm. Um, And yeah, just want to contribute to the conversation where we can. Yeah. And I think we are definitely speaking from our own personal experiences today. Um, Definitely do not speak for all women. Mm -mm. Just want to say that up front. Um, But we do believe that women of the church need, Mm -hmm. yeah, avenues and places to speak. So hopefully we fill that role today. Yeah. And Another important caveat here is we are both um, white 
younger women um, who are straight uh, and that, and we're very able-bodied. So I think Mm. as we continue these podcast conversations, we're definitely looking for um, more intersections of those places. Uh, So in the future, hopefully we can bring more voices Mm. to the table, but that's just, you know, that's our disclaimer. This is who we are. And I think we're, we're trying to have a more of a balanced conversation than just hearing from Derek on Sunday morning, even though he did a fantastic job. Right. Um, Right. But we're, we understand that we're still limited. Yeah. Well, Sunday sermon has sparked a lot of conversation. That's for (laughs) sure. Um, I'd love to ask just a couple of questions to kind of walk us through uh, some of your experience and some of your thoughts and reflections on, uh, on this topic. So I just want to start by asking, what did you appreciate or value about Sunday's message? Uh, What was good to hear? What was encouraging? Was there anything that, um, maybe provided words um, that were true to your experience or anything like that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just want to say, first of all, I love that we're talking about this. I love that we talked about it Sunday. Um, It's becoming like increasingly clear to me that um, human sexuality and just how we live embodied lives is central to almost everyone's life and what everyone is thinking Mm -hmm. about all the time. And yet that conversation is very rare or maybe taboo to have in the church, except mm. for it's like extremely crucial to be having that <laughs> conversation. Um, and I think no matter who you are, what your story is, right? Like we're all coming to the table bringing something. Um, and we all have our um, disordered ways of thinking about sexuality and our embodied selves and maybe also our like theologically sound ways. But um, it really seems that generally as a community, we don't have strong theological roots in how we talk about sexuality. Mm. Yeah. So it was just good first of first off that it happened at all. Right. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think like starting from the place of what Derek said, um, that you are a whole person, body, mind, and soul. Like you are not a soul over here Mm. in your body over here to be a whole person is to have body, mind, and soul. And, you know, Andy Crouch was with us this past weekend and he Mm -hmm. reminded us that, that Luke 10 verse about loving the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You can love God with your strength. You can love God with your body, with your mind, your heart, and soul. And I think Mm. that that message has been lost. So I love Mm. starting from the place of uh, we are made to be whole beings, body, mind, and soul. Um, So that's a really great place to Mm. like have our foundation. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, so that's kind of like, I feel like our bird's eye view of it. Maybe Mm -hmm. if we could zoom in a little bit. So you're... First point was talking about who we are by nature is not who we are by grace. Is that yes. the first yes, point? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and first off, I love a gold Bible because that's what it says, right? <laughs> um, but the Bible is awesome. <laughs> the Bible is awesome. Do the Bible. So um, basically, that phrase, "Who we are by nature is not who we are by grace," is just the gospel mm. message, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, that's where we're. We're never, like, done with learning the gospel message, right? We have to go, like, back to it over and over and over. And especially in this um, topic of sexuality, like like I'm saying, we're all bringing something. We're all bringing messages that we have heard from the world. We're all bringing Mm -hmm. things that we've done in the world. Like, just all of these things Mm -hmm. to this conversation and then also, like, ultimately to God as we're working these things out with him. 
Um, so one thing that I definitely wanted to touch on, you, I think you said, maybe it was the first or second service, I can't remember, but you said when talking about the Corinthians and unpacking that phrase, who we were by nature is not who we are by grace, um, you said something like, and what they've done, what they've done or what was done to them, talking about like who we are by nature. Yes. Um, I can't even remember in context how you were saying that. Yeah, I was fleshing out the idea of what does it mean to, um, what does that point mean, that we are not who we were by nature, but who we are by grace, and saying what does that mean for us. And so that means for us, no matter what we've done with our bodies or whatever has been done to our bodies, right, Um, who we were by nature, so whatever kind of sinful, whether that is, you know, um, sins I've committed or sins that have been committed against Mm -hmm. me, uh, what matters most is who I am by grace. Yeah, yeah. and w- what I love about how you're saying all those things is it acknowledges that um, sexual immorality or sexual sin isn't just like something that we have full agency over or mm-hmm. we've decided to do, right? Um, and I think, you know, as a person who has experienced sexual assault, a couple of different instances, which we don't have to go into now, but... Um, and I know I'm not the only one in the room, right? I think mm-hmm. it's like one in four women have mm-hmm. been victimized of sexual, more. if not more, right? Yeah. And yeah, I'm those not those numbers sure. are definitely increasing. Uh-huh. Yeah, every every sort of generation. Yeah. Right, and so I think, as you know, as that being an experience that I carry, right? When we talk about sexual or morality, always in the lens of you know the decisions that you made or blah right. blah blah, like it doesn't acknowledge that. Um, sexual sin that was committed against me that wasn't necessarily my choice still does affect the integration of mind, spirit, body, like you were saying, yes. Becca. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and so, like, then what do you do with that if we're only talking about it mm-hmm. in the frame of... Yeah, my personal mm-hmm. sexuality, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah you have um, nothing to say, actually, to it. <laughs> right. Is, yeah. Yeah. So that just... It was a cool moment for me just that that was even mentioned to, like, just be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like that the grace of Jesus can meet me even in the places of sin and brokenness that weren't even necessarily my choice. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah I really a, appreciated that. Yes. As a, as a college pastor, um, it was close to, I would say close to 40 ish percent of the women that I discipled. Um, had some encounter with sexual assault, whether that's um, uh, in their churches, in their relationships in high school, or at college. Um, and so it was, a, it was a normal part of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, so before meeting those women, I had no, I mean, I had no idea what to say to it. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd, I had not experienced that. You know, um, had not really known many people before I came on staff who had experienced that. Um, some of our friends, for sure, but nothing that it impacted me so much as someone I'd invested my life in for years, and this being their core identity story with Jesus, is trying to figure out how do they ever find themselves as beautiful or whole again after experiencing something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that I mean, that's uh, hard to speak to a whole church with kids in the room, yeah. <laughs> but oh, yeah. that language is there very specifically to, <laughs> yeah. to to let people know who have suffered sexual assault that this is a this is an important part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think at the you know end of your sermon, Derek, there's this movement towards uh, redemption is possible, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. transformation is possible, yeah. and regardless of what you've done or what has been done to you, um, 
we believe yes. that all of you know all of life is spiritual formation. There's yes. uh, just the world is your oyster as far as uh, the Lord being able to heal those places and yeah. bring wholeness where there was once division. And so I love mm. that that was right. the turn, and you gave us really specific things to go forth and practice. Um, to help bring those things back together and to bring healing. Yeah, that last couple sentences in this passage, Paul is making the argument that our bodies are beautiful things that can bring God glory and honor, not because of what we've done or what's been done to us, Mm -hmm. but because they have been bought with a price by Christ and they belong to God. Right. And those are things that are independent of uh, our wounds Mm -hmm. or the ways that we wound others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. And I think also just it's important to note that for some people who that's their experience, right? Um, you sometimes you're not even aware that you've compartmentalized your body away from your mind and spirit. And it could be because of trauma or it could be because of yeah. other reasons. But I think it's good to just have like a moment to say, like, wait a second, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my experience. Does this mean, is this yeah. how I've responded, yeah. which is like yeah. divorcing those things? That's great. And before we move on, I think it might be really just important to mention, you know, as someone who's, I've experienced physical and emotional abuse in my family, not experienced sexual abuse. These yeah. are the kinds of things that uh, take years mm-hmm. and decades even to unpack and to process to, um, and so I think what I don't want, out of, I'm really grateful that we could name it on Sunday in one small way. But just to also mention that, like, if that is a part of your story, it's it's um, it's going to be a part of your story for a long while. Right. And that is appropriate. There's not something wrong with you because you know, well, I've been working at this for two years and yes. it still is hard for me to believe this. It just that's just how deep some of those wounds go. We're so mm-hmm. integrated mm-hmm. and not meant to be destroyed yes. in those ways. So it's not it's not actually a testimony that there's something wrong with you. It's right. a testimony that, like, of how wrong the thing that happened to you was. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. 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 Sure. But anyway, that's and great. We also believe in counselors and Amen. help. <laughs> right. you need Hallelujah. Yes, that's right. yes. Well, yes, um, yes. those are great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing uh, those um, those things, especially just sharing your story too, Brooke. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second movement in my sermon was about um, uh, living like our bodies matter. Um, why do you think? it is hard, particularly as women, uh, to live as though your bodies matter. Well, <laughs> literally uh, everything we tell us tells us differently. <laughs> everything that we hear tells us differently. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Much, so much to say here. Un- unpack, yeah. Un- yeah. Go ahead. So, so, I mean, I can start this, this little conversation, yeah, but um, aside from the fact that everywhere we turn magazines, television, clothing stores, just friendships and relationships, Mm. like everything is focused, not everything, so much of life is focused on the female body. Um, And being seen as some sort of object for consumption. Um, And that's a whole big thing. But the one thing that I kind of want to drill down into for the purposes of this conversation is that because of all of that happening, where we hear in this Corinthian story, the Corinthians are divorcing body from soul because they want to do things with their bodies mm-hmm. that are not honoring God. Um, I feel like in my story growing up, I have divorced body from soul because I've been told that my body is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to disassociate from it because to me, mm-hmm. 
It's mm-hmm. only something that is used for a purpose, um, or it's used um, for the destruction of others. It indulges other people's desires. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to like make this cut. Like that is this thing that I need to cover up um, physically and you know um, mentally in shame um, that mm-hmm. I don't want to associate with because all that it is is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so. This happened for me through, I would say, a lot of well-meaning adults who just taught me through veiled, sometimes not so veiled language, that my body was a bad thing, and all of the messages that I'm receiving as a young girl and now as a 30-something growing up in this culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I think about my body as an object, I'm just subconsciously separating it from my soul, and, Mm. um, and I just begin to have really that just does really destructive things to yourself um and And so were those messages becca messages that you heard from pastors or in youth groups around the idea that um that uh you know if if only you dress differently or Mm -hmm. you then the men in this church wouldn't struggle with yeah being tempted by you or uh, can you flesh some of that what are some of the places you heard that that's a it's a good question and i think there's some specific and not so specific ways that i've heard this message um i also want to make a disclaimer i've had amazing people in my life who have Hmm. um especially amazing women um who've led me especially in very formidable years to uh be strong brave um speak up lead all of these things. Mm-hmm. And then there've been some other people in my life who have very much kept me and other girls in a box like you know talking a lot about what you wear and how you're responsible for um a man's uh lust or his sexual desires. Right. So we are responsible for keeping those under wraps. Um you don't want to tempt him type of language. Uh so I think that mm. just puts this incredible pressure on young women. And I don't think that it's necessarily wrong. Like I should care about my brother. Absolutely. Um, but if that's the only message you're hearing and not also that you were created in the image of God and your body is good, then this is just a recipe for shame. So I think there's a lot of number one, focus on being responsible for someone Mm. else's sexual desires. Number two, just an incredible amount of focus on the male female relationship as if that was the only thing our bodies were good for. Mm. Um, and not only relating at the point of sexuality, right? Yeah. 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 And I think in, it's easy for, for a lot of Christian conversations with young people to be very, um, reductive about like our complexity. And we just Mm. tend to focus on the male female relationship and putting marriage as this, like, you know, pinnacle, once you reach it, like you're a complete person. And like you said in your sermon this weekend, like that does not solve your problems. Yes, that's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> and to yes. me, the, the switch was your body is used for a purpose. And up until marriage, that purpose is bad. But then once you're married, that purpose suddenly becomes good. <laughs> right. But all the time. That was a, while, that's a weird switch to make. You're believing. <laughs> as a human being. Yes. But all the while, you're just believing that your body is supposed to be used yes. for someone else. Yes, that's right. And mm. I think that that's a really destructive message. And I'll be more, I mean, just to add more vulnerability to Sunday, for me personally, um, my story of my sexuality in my marriage is that um, it was a place of shame 
when it should not have been. So mm-hmm. I went from yes. someone who could not have sex to someone who could have sex literally just because of this one yeah. service that we had, the ceremony. Like yeah. I got married and yeah. then went from bad one day, great another. But it took me about a year and a half, two years before uh, I, I stopped feeling shameful mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. just actually healthy sexual activity within a marriage. Like that's that's a real, it's that a can real be a real thing. thing because there was no, that those parts for me also were not, uh, that vision was not there for me mm-hmm. also. Right. Were well, and to just, maybe we can just continue this line of yeah. thought before we go back to what Becca was saying, but yeah. what you shared on Sunday, I also really appreciated um, because I think the stories we hear is like, we just we just hear specific examples of the story of um, the progress of a person's sexuality. Like we hear, um, you know, the person who, you know, was living in a sexually broken way before they met their future spouse, and then they figured it out, and then they had a, like an amazing experience once they got married. Or then we hear the people who like weren't living for Jesus, got married, then met Jesus, and then now their sexuality is fine. Or we hear the people who are, like, really legalistic and, you know, were able to, you know, struggle, like, with, with in a different way but not yeah. engaging in sexual brokenness, but then it's confusing. But I think we don't hear the stories of, like, yeah, I struggled with my sexuality before I got married. I met my future spouse. It was still hard. We got married it was still hard, still and also hard. now I'm still figuring it out. Like yes, we don't hear totally. that story, and like also the point is like yeah. Jesus is still with you yes. in all of those steps yes. as you're figuring that out, and like it doesn't leave space for people to be honest about their yeah. experience. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sorry, that I just feel like no, that was true. that was an explosion. But that's so important. That's the story. Those are the stories that we need to be telling. Yeah, my staff worker other. for university when I went to my first men's retreat as a student, I, I became a Christian right before I got to college. Mm. So this is the I didn't even know that people did retreats until I became a Christian. Right. <laughs> so uh, the first men's retreat I went to, and our staff worker he dropped what we called the bomb, and that was the place where he told all of us that like this was going to be something that marriage did not fix. Mm. And we like revolted. Like, the, I mean, the pain was so palpable in the room. Right. How dare you tell us that? I want to keep like, believing this lie. I, I know. I know. Yes. Right. It, was, it was just, but it was, it was the. I mean, it was the most beautiful thing he could have done for us was to just say, "You, you have to start reconciling this now, because it is not going to get reconciled for you." Yeah. Simply because you get married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It takes the work and it takes Jesus. So like yes. open yourself up to that's that right, now. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then going back to what you were saying, Becca, I think I heard you mention just the word object and I'm afraid that we might have like lost some people mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to make that jump. Mm-hmm. So I think like what are ways in which maybe you have heard people, like I think for me an example of language that has then made me think of. Feel objectified. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Are maybe somebody referring to another woman as like red pants or like mm-hmm. black mm-hmm. shirt or something instead mm-hmm. of like like talking about their body in the place of their personhood? Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's nuanced, yes. but that's where we start to get yes. that. I think we have to like um understand that language matters mm. <laughs> and the way that we talk about people matters and mm. really brings life or death. And so anytime we are reducing people to say what they wear or to just their sex in general, women 
over here need to be responsible in how they dress um, because of men's struggles with sexual sin. Like that, if you, if you pull that apart, pull that thread, what you're doing is not talking about these people as image bearers of God and Mm -hmm. like unique people who are bringing body, soul and mind to the table. And so the message is received as, I am not a whole person. I am only Mm. the sum of what I wear. Mm -hmm. And and if I am only the sum of what I wear, I'm just going to be used. And that is what makes you feel like an object. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's really good. That's really good. I think some of the ways I see that, I've seen that in uh, churches and in uh, my own ministry over the years is... Uh, like when we relate to one another as potential sexual temptations first and not as friends yes. or brothers or sisters, right? So we, How have you yes. seen that like play out? Uh, I mean, yeah, like uh, Derek, you should never meet with uh, a woman. For sure. You know, and I'm like, well, that's like 50% of the church workforce right there doing ministry. <laughs> you know, or um, you shouldn't disciple Cross gender is another yeah. one. Like you right. actually shouldn't have That's a big one. meaningful. Yes. And this is very again, university has definitely influenced me a lot here because of their commitment to those, to those things. But I think that was really it's been very powerful for me to to, to get at, to break out of that mm-hmm. mindset. That um, you know now it doesn't mean that we are irresponsible mm-hmm. or we set ourselves up for failure or anything like that. But I think to start by saying uh, you shouldn't treat this person as a friend or as a sister. Um, you can never really have, I, I can't have meaningful connection with you guys, right. um, because you're women, right? you yes. know, and, the, and, the, right. and that yes. is, I think that is just as objectifying as it gets to say that, um, oh, well, if we, if we have a meaningful friendship or we actually function like brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll eventually want to sin with one another. Like that, that is horrible <laughs> place to start. Yes. But I think that is, so I think that has mainly defined, um, for me in my, teens, 20s, as a young Christian man, that's mm-hmm. like, that is, that's how you're supposed to think, Derek. Yes. Um, and I just didn't realize how damaging that was to me and to others. Well, and I mean, since I'm a woman in the workforce, like I can tell you that type of thinking keeps women from leading because we do not get opportunities, especially if you're working in the church and say, yeah. and an elder, like your superior is a man and he's not willing to mentor you or to disciple you or supervise you in a really intentional way, then you're not going to grow. You're not going to mature. And guess what? Like there's no one, there's no females above me who can do that. (laughs) Right. And so I need, I need the men to be able to, to help me and bring me up. So yeah, I have, that's that's like a whole other conversation too, but yeah, that's really good. It's really good. I think also as we're talking about this question of um, the second point, like, why is it so hard for particularly women to live as though our body matters? Um, you know, Becca is sharing her perspective as growing up um, largely in, like, Christian community yeah. and your yeah. messages. I think for me, I, I'm coming from a little bit of a different story, and I know, Derek, this is, like, a little bit part of your story, too, mm-hmm. but coming up more in a secular space um, as, like, a child and a teenager, and then when I got to young adulthood, that's really where Jesus met me, and then the Christian messaging about my body and sexuality came in, but I think they they both, when when they're kind of disordered or not or around this kind of embodied mm-hmm. um, theology, can again divorce us from our mind, spirit, and body being 
integrated, but in different ways. I think Dis- it disintegrates us, is what you're saying. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Oh yeah, integrates, disintegrates. That's good. So, um, so I think in the world we see, like Becca was mentioning, um, the sexuality of women everywhere, ads, TV. <laughs> parties, commercials, oh just etc. Um, and in even in strong and powerful women, you see them using their sexuality, almost harnessing the power of their sexuality to get power over others. Like I'm thinking of like maybe Beyonce is an example of this, mm-hmm. where it's like um, the way for me to get power over men or to, you know, achieve something is to really harness my sexuality because the Mm. world knows how to interact with my sexuality, Mm. right? Mm. And so I think as a teenager, those are, that's the messaging. So it's like, use my sexuality to go ahead, except for then you're still under the bondage of other, what other people are thinking about you and seeing you as an object, right? Mm -hmm. And then you come, so that divorces the body from mind and spirit. Mm -hmm. But then you come into church, and for me, my experience um, in Christian communities and specifically talking about sexuality was the church addressing specifically men over and over about pornography and about their lustful Mm -hmm. thoughts about women, Mm -hmm. um... But as a woman in this conversation who shares in those Mm -hmm. desires and sins, like, it was confusing for me because, one, Mm. I have to hide the fact that I can identify with those things Mm. as a human, right? Right. Um, And then, two, the messaging that Becca is talking about, about, and because explicitly we're going to talk about how men struggle with this, then I also have to be responsible in helping them not struggle while also but I'm struggling, struggling, struggling with it <laughs> quietly by myself. Yes, that's right. Yeah. In like taboo yeah. land. So that's another dualism that the church I think functions out of that we we've not really made a lot of progress in this way. But uh, that that men have libidos and women have emotions. Yes. Mm. So that men are the one who have sexual desire and women are the one who have feelings. Right. right. And this is this is served to hurt all of us. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah in yeah, many ways. Good. But that's exactly what you're hitting on is, yeah. is yes. that, you know, uh, it's not treating you actually as a sexual being because it's saying <laughs> right. men are, you're not. You're and not. then there's this double shame of like, well, if women don't ever wrestle with this, what is really wrong? Wrong with, with me? me. Right. Yeah, it doubles the shame. Or then it's still it's making sex all about men and their desires yes. eventually when you're in marriage yes. and it's cool to be doing that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then as a woman, I've never shaped my own ideas about right. it or said, like, right. I can have a part in an ownership in this yeah. as mm-hmm. well. Which sets you up for a really, uh, like, one-sided sexual relationship within marriage where, like, wouldn't you want both parties to come together in service and joy of the act itself instead mm-hmm. of just always bending to one side. Yeah. So. And I think it's just important for us to recognize, you know, um, a really good thing for us as Christians, if we want to have a, a, a new Testament ethic of the body is to always, or of the person, I should say is maybe even better. Yeah. All compartmentalization is dehumanization. Mm, that's good. So yeah. every time, yeah. Um, that's what I was getting at when I was talking about um, when we do that, we shear a part of our humanity off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think 
what's what's happened. This is, I think, just the tragic state of um, where we are, both as a culture and as the church. Is that what's happened? Is um, compartmentalization exists as a defense mechanism. Like this mm. is how beautiful God has made our bodies. Um, when trauma happens to us, so def- it's 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 a defense mechanism against trauma, essentially. Mm. So when something traumatic happens to you, which violates your body, your mind, or your soul, uh, compartmentalization happens so that you can stay a person and not just destroy yourself, mm. right? Is this is why children do this in abusive relationships? This is how you're able to get through the horrific trauma of a rape. Mm-hmm. You, your brain just literally it locks down, severs off a part of you behind mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. doors. And you can function until you get the healing and the therapy and the help that you need to open that door back up. Right. But what's happened is because of our consumeristic, just everybody's a possession, we have made compartmentalization into a way of life. Yeah. And I yeah. think just, it's a, so anytime we see ourselves, it's a great grid to help us sort of understand that. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great... I think there's a couple other avenues we could talk about a little bit. Okay. If that's okay. Yeah, no, go, go, go. Um, But so even like outside of the sexuality conversation, I think specifically for women, maybe because of the things we've mentioned, but there are specific things about women's bodies that we are taught to hide or be taboo. I think for one, the most like basic level is like women are critiqued on appearance a lot. And part of it is because of this objectification Mm -hmm. or like women's bodies should look a certain way or whatever. And so I think that also, um, we're, we're constantly critiquing our body and our appearance. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that prevents us from treating it like it's good. And also like you're saying is almost inflicted trauma that tempts us to, um, disintegrate those, those relationships. So I think that's one thing that's just like important to note here. And another thing, which (laughs) taboo subject that we definitely don't talk about in church is menstruation. (laughs) Like this is, it's in the Bible. It's there. It's totally in the Bible. I have never heard a a sermon about menstruation. No challenge. Maybe challenge. That'll be be my next one. Right. We talk a lot about life and babies, but where does that come from? And the thing is, is like we, I think, I was thinking about this this morning, like Mm. just in preparation for this conversation, just about how like in general, our like developed world, we have insulated ourselves from a lot of like the nitty gritty realness of life and like menstruation every month allows me to always be in touch with like, Oh, I have a real physical body that's doing stuff. Right. Um, but I think how we talk about that with our kids, how we hide those conversations to just be among other women. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying we need to be talking about menstruation all the time with everyone, but I'm just saying it's a significant difference between the embodied life of a woman and the embodied life of a man Mm -hmm. that is crucial. I think it is also one of the reasons why men, um, are disembodied more and more and more mm. within our culture. They don't. We don't have this this thing. I think it would change drastically wow. how wow, how, how men uh, are oriented to this conversation. Watching my wife go through early onset menopause at 38 years old, wow. watching her body, mind, and spirit disintegrate in front of me for a year was just absolutely. Wow. It, I just I still haven't processed all of it. Wow. But it's, I do remember feeling this though. I am glad that is not me. <laughs> so I don't, like, I can't, <laughs> right. like, it's not fair. I remember thinking, this is not fair. Right. That, like, 
my curse of the fall is that, well, work is hard, you know, <laughs> you know, all like weeds and toil. Right. And this is hers. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first started my period, when I was like in middle school, every, I mean, maybe for the first two years, every time I got it, I would cry because even at that young age, I knew it was shameful. I was, I felt right. the shame of my body. And yet this is the thing that allowed me to have a beautiful baby girl last year. Like, right. And actually bring carry and bring life into this world. Mm -hmm. And that is remarkable. Mm -hmm. But even at seventh grade, I would cry and cry. Yeah. So much shame. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that like nobody um, intersected your story to bestow on you a femininity that had a vision that was different that like, yeah. like that would have been great to know as a 12 year old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. but yeah. It, it's, it's just one of those places where we're, this is just how not only have we failed, I think we really have failed to bestow biblical masculinity on men, mm -hmm. but that this is a, this mm -hmm. also, we failed to do this for women as well with yeah. the, with the femininity that, yeah. that matters and is uh, true to their experience mm -hmm. in the world and what their mm -hmm. life is really like. And I think, you know, I had women in my life, particularly my amazing mother who tried to normalize it for me, mm -hmm. but I don't right. think normalizing it necessarily helped. Mm. Maybe I don't mm. know, I don't know necessarily what would have, but mm. elevating it to to see the bigger picture and see how powerful that is and a good thing, like yeah, yeah. maybe that would have helped. But that's good, and it's also I think a great example of like there just aren't easy answers to all these. So it's not like out of your story you just shared, oh here's what we should do. Mm -hmm. right. No, sometimes yeah. we no. just <laughs> sometimes we see the negative space and we hope to figure out how to maybe fill it with something yeah. that's good and beautiful. Right. Yeah. I think yeah I think. There's been plenty of time that I've just been like, well, what, the, what is this for? Shameful, whatever, like similar, like, oh gosh, this is happening. I need to hide, mm -hmm. whatever. Despite that 50% of the population is also doing the same thing. Yeah. But um, I think there have also been, for me, really like incredible, mysterious reverential reverence what am i trying reverential. to say reverential <laughs> times where i guess maybe similar to you where it's like and i carried a baby in my body and birthed it um yes. but it's like wow look at what my body is doing mm -hmm. it's a this regular rhythm of life and there's something um grounding and yeah. mysterious about that that actually has i feel like connected me with like mystery of yeah. of god and yeah. how he works so i don't know hopefully someone else can write <laughs> right. really awesome books and teach us about how to think about this oh well so you know kind of moving us on what um what are things that have helped you live a fully embodied existence, would you say? So spiritual practices or experiences that you've had that you feel like have, have actually helped you live into your bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a lot of things. I loved the stuff that you shared on Sunday, Derek. I thought that was very helpful. Um, and one of those that you shared was confession. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday, but um, actually kneeling confession and physical prayer has mm -hmm. been really helpful for me. Yes. That's um, just because... You're, you're actually using your body and it actually, to me, it feels a little bit uncomfortable. And I think that's why it's good for me mm. um, to actually get on my knees and be like, oh my gosh, is this embarrassing? Is somebody going to see me do this? But no, like actually putting my body in the posture of uh, reverence and honoring God has, to me, felt really freeing. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of times I try to keep a c tight control over my body, but that to me is just like, 
it's very freeing to be like, this is what my body is for. It is for serving in worship. And yeah, there's um, always a bodily response to the presence of God in scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Prostration or mm-hmm. like there's that, that's yes. an important thing. Yeah. yeah. And so physically yes. worship and I know uh, like Brooke has lots to say on this topic. Yes, Do you have any thoughts, oh worship gosh. leader? You guys who are listening to the podcast can't see, but I'm just swimming with my arms. Yeah, I think. Um, so like you were just saying, Derek, in scripture, we see um, physical responses to the presence of God often. And I had a really formative um, time with a worship leader who was teaching on physically expressive worship using the Psalms. Um, and it was so formative for me just um, – I think using your body in worship only reinforces these things that your Mm. mind, spirit, and body are all connected and all integrated as one. And actually um, using my body in worship helps me reintegrate, I think, that back in with my spirit and also helps me engage more fully in what God is doing and what he might be saying. And I think that... um, yeah, it's, it can be tricky because um, I think in different contexts, maybe there's different kinds of freedom of how you can use your body. But I wouldn't even encourage people, like even in their own maybe like devotional worship yeah. where no one else is there, you don't have to worry about mm. it. Just experiment with what that could look like because it's been hugely um, formative for me, for sure. Yeah. Um, and other things that I think are really important is just like, using your body for what God intended and calling it good, seeing those places where you can call it good. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, this past year it looked like carrying a child, delivering her um, without medication, I will say, which is an incredible, not that I meant to do that. It just happened to just kind of happened, but um, (laughs) it's an incredible act of what my body is capable of doing. Um, that made me feel like, gosh, this is good. I can bring life into the world. And that's just part of my story. Not every woman experiences that. But um, I also think like exercising, running makes me feel so strong. Mm -hmm. And like I've been given something that is a gift and that I am able to do that. Like making food for my family, hugging the people that I love. Like those are gifts of the body. Yeah, that's true. I think the, the last thing I'll say is that I like a big act for me of kind of redeeming my body, and this might be controversial, but um, is my tattoo, which is an olive branch. It's on my right arm. And can you tell me the story what, of your tattoo? I mean, yeah. I've seen it, but can you tell me like, like what, yeah, why, why did you? Yeah. So I got it, uh, I guess, maybe two years ago, and I had been thinking about it for a long time. And as I've struggled with how I see my body, um, the ultimate reason I wanted to get it was like an act of redemption to say that like, I want God to mark me. Like I want a physical mark that I have been touched by the Lord and that I can look at every single day. And it's an olive branch. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, daily, multiple times a day, like I am an olive branch flourishing in the house of the Lord, which comes from the Psalms. Mm -hmm. And Mm. what the world meant for destruction, God has marked as good. Mm -hmm. And He is constantly making me new. Like even, you know, the dove with the olive branch after the flood, like where there was destruction, he says, no more, I promise you. Mm -hmm. And so me actually having that mark on my body is like, this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And it was a really powerful moment for me. And 
That will yeah. definitely be controversial. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, it does it does remind me of the Old Testament where we're you know where the people of God are called to bind on their wrists and their foreheads. Yes. Um, these truths of God, and it yeah. sounds like that's so your next, way of doing that. The next step is put an olive branch on your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still, my mother still does not love my tattoo, so I understand. I understand, that's but funny. I think I think the. Uh, yeah, what, about, what, about what I'm hearing just in all these examples is like doing things that maybe just draw our awareness back to our bodies. Mm-hmm. I think especially for women who compartmentalize that part of themselves, when if we can find opportunities like you were saying, exercising, for me it's yoga, but things that, actions that I can do that make me very aware of my mm-hmm. body and how it's moving and what it's doing, I think bring those things back into balance. And I think when I'm doing those things, especially for the motive of being aware of my body and just so I can feel good, not so that I can change my body to look differently than how it looks right now, because then you can easily do that for the wrong motives. And it still is a good action, but for Mm -hmm. the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think like when I'm eating healthy because I want to feel good and it's like really about, I want to put these good things in my body so that I have energy like those kind of of actions are different to me than yes mm, yeah does good. that make sense it's like i mean every runner's like a favorite movie quote is that like <laughs> when i run i feel god's pleasure yes. you know from Cheers a chair to, to fire, fire. <laughs> and i you know what it is true <laughs> like yeah. when you're doing those things that are reminding you that you have been given a good body like Yes, you feel God's pleasure. Right. And I think it's like those are the moments when I can almost like you talked about how Jesus was a single man who did not have sex and yet he was like a fully integrated sexual being. And that's really confusing if we're going to be honest about it. But I think in those moments when we're using our body and I'm like aware of it, those are the moments where like... I'm aware of my sexuality, but it has nothing to do with sex, right? Yes. And like that's yes. that's what you want. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's also, that's also hard Amen. for us as Americans where uh, you know, nobody wants to go for mediocre, but it's probably more of what it would look like. So you either mm. like you're the guy that runs marathons or the woman that runs marathons yeah. or the one who just is letting themselves go completely. Right, like there's right? no middle ground. <laughs> like, but I think the truth is that like where's the guy that's like, you know, I walk a couple miles a day, that's about it. You know, but yeah. that's actually right. but, but but that is probably like that is probably more of what it would look like mm-hmm. to take just take our body seriously and to exercise and eat well. That's great. Yep. All right, last question um, is what can we do to make sure that we aren't creating these dualities of existence for our brothers and sisters? Yeah, I just want to make a, like, this is such a good question, and I want to make, like, a little disclaimer because we've just talked about kind of personal responsibility, what we do mm-hmm. and how we um, how we help live uh, uniform like in unity with body, soul, and mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also important to talk about corporate responsibility. And so personal responsibility and corporate responsibility. And I mentioned earlier kind of like the pressure put on women to be responsible for men. And again, I want to say like, I don't think that that is necessarily a bad thing. I just think it's a narrow view. Mm-hmm. So when it's a narrow mm-hmm. view and that's your only view um, I think this is harmful to men and women. Women, For women, because it puts responsibility on them, makes them so self-conscious and full of shame. And men, it doesn't actually help them take ownership of their right. brokenness. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So limiting our view to only that is not helping 
anyone in this Mm -hmm. equation. Mm -hmm. So I think to start, like it's just entering into the complexity of being a human person is, it is so beyond our capacity to understand. Um, So if we just accept that as knowledge and like as, as truth, you know, Derek, you said earlier, like we don't necessarily have easy answers. So let's, let's bring that to the table. Let's say we don't have easy answers. Right. And acknowledge that like, oh, we have to bear each other's burdens. We have to help each other, but we don't quite know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's try to expand this conversation a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you saying, Becca, too, is that like this is done in community, right? Like I think, Mm -hmm. I think a strength of the church or can be the strength of the church is that like we're spiritual family. And as you become more and more spiritual family people, you you hear their story and you can share more. And I think mm-hmm. things that are going on at Third right now, like the parish groups and as things get more established and people are becoming family with one another, we have a really unique opportunity to hear the different experiences of men, different experiences of women, yep. old, mm-hmm. young, yep. able-bodied, not like all, all of these things um, together. And we have the opportunity in sharing experiences to figure out how we can serve one another better and grow together mm. in this mm. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple things like we talked about earlier, watching our language, making sure that we're always thinking about each other as these fully complex human beings mm-hmm. that are yeah. mind, body, soul. Um, not refer like simple. Don't refer to somebody by what they're wearing. That's mm. a simple thing. Um, yeah. I also think there's ways in which, I mean, so one of the things I'm very passionate about is, um, the fact that, or th- that the church would take responsibility for the men in the church who would take responsibility for themselves mm. in this. I think whenever that happens, things tend to flourish around it. I've, mm. I've never seen that be a negative thing. What does that uh, look like? When uh, well, I would say, for instance, there's a lot of ways in which the kind of good old boy network stuff is still alive. So you just talked about referring to people as their clothings. I mean, I've been in many Christian circles, Christian leadership circles, where I can't tell the difference between um, conversations I'm hearing at a bar mm-hmm. and what I'm hearing mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, where, um, I mean, just referring to women as mm-hmm. uh, in these kind of crude or crass kind of ways or uh, forgiving men for um, um, ho- horrible things because, well, they're just guys. Mm-hmm. That's what guys struggle yeah, with. Yeah, writing it off as... Yeah. Boys being boys. Boys being boys. Right. And I think, you know, one of my, one of the, the biggest challenges I want to lay in front of um, any community I'm a part of, but specifically our church, um, is that we stop allowing uh, boys uh, to be, um, grow up into, sorry, that we, that we stop allowing men uh, to be boys in men's bodies. Mm. Is what are, so I think, yes. you know, we allowed a, that, that to persist in their 30s, yes. 40s. And I think you can describe good. a lot, a lot of male culture in the church as boys in men's bodies, mm-hmm. that we still have wow. not allowed them to mature or help them mm-hmm. to mature to take responsibility mm-hmm. for some of these things. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I think also in that conversation, just giving space and people who, have real stories about this that aren't like the cookie cutter ideal Christian way of talking about it, but like having, taking opportunities to be vulnerable and share with people that they're Mm -hmm. in close relationship with because um, we just, we need the real talk about this Mm -hmm. and we don't need the Sunday school answer talks Mm -hmm. about this. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And I think just what you're saying, Derek, is like, 
we all have to take responsibility for our roles in this. That's right. Yep. And I love that in this passage in First Corinthians, it mm-hmm. actually says, "Remember that sexual sin is against a sin against." your own self. Yes. Mm, like, that's good. That's really putting the pressure on you, like mm-hmm. as a, you know, unique person to take responsibility because if you are um, finding yourself struggling, like that is a sin against yourself and, right. and that is going to harm yourself. Um, and so I think writing those kind of pers- those shifted perspectives of yeah. like women need to carry the burden, but yet that's not helping men like those yeah, that's not even how, yeah. what this passage is saying. Yeah, and I think I mean another really great uh, way for all of us. So whether we are uh, married, whether you're single, uh, whether you're struggling with same-sex attraction or pornography or body image, like you name it, um, living in healthy, authentic Christian community helps us deeply. Yes, because yes. Uh, um, uh, Frederick Bickner has this great quote where he he talks about how um, really. Uh, the desire for someone sexually is just the desire for a deeper connection to humanness. Like mm. it's, it comes out of that created good that we were made for community. Mm. And when that community need is uh, experienced and is flourishing in the way that God wants it to be, um, things be- begin to get ordered around it correctly. Yeah. And so I think the more that we can press into deep community with one another, um, the more that our sexuality is going to come in line with righteousness Mm -hmm. because we're not, we're not going to be using it to try to secure community needs that are lacking, you know, that that's always, I think that's always a good, a good thing. Whenever you talk about this, it is sex is communal. Mm -hmm. It is a community thing. It's not Mm -hmm. a private thing. Yep. And the more that we make it a like back door closeted thing, the more it becomes destructive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you guys so much for this conversation. This has been Gosh. Incredible. <laughs> Thanks for adding your voices yeah. uh, so to this conversation. To here. Yeah, me too. This is great. And I just like, last thing I want to say is like, I've been thinking, you know, the past four days about <laughs> that line uh, that you said, Derek, about the, the, what was it? The creator of all beauty does not dwell in ugly things. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm, that's, that's like, good. just a good line to end on. Cause I think it was like in the middle of your sermon. I'm like, oh my gosh, that mm-hmm. is like, so many people need to hear that, mm-hmm. that the creator of all beauty does not dwell in ugly things. Our bodies are beautiful and they are necessary. Amen. Amen. It's great. Amen. Thanks, guys.